0: What is up, Lucid Podcast fans? We are happy to have you back for season eight of the show. This season is brought to you by Vera Health, an amazing cannabis company located right here in Denver, Colorado. Visit our website, litlucid.com to learn more about our sponsors and to view our previous episodes. And if you're enjoying the show, be sure to share with a friend and give us a review on your favorite platform. Without further ado, here are your hosts, Lucy and Jared.
1: Welcome, everybody, to the Lit and Lucid podcast. We are here in season eight. We are recording live with Frank Trailer. He is the CEO and co-founder of AgriScience Lab. What's up, Frank?
2: Not much. I'm just uh, enjoying a nice sunny day here in
0: Colorado. <laughs> That's exciting. Yeah, we get a lot of those sunny days here in Colorado, so glad we're back on the other end of the, uh, the winter spectrum here and, and kind of seeing warmer days.
2: Oh, yeah, we've had a lot of snow this year.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: All right. For those of you who don't know, Frank is the co-founder of AgriScience Labs. He was also the co-founder of Terra Healthcare Labs, and they started back in 2013. It is one of the oldest ISO-accredited labs in the nation and the first in Colorado for cannabis testing. Frank has a background in executive management and board roles for over two decades, where he focused on growth as well as buying and selling trans- transactions. Um, I know you also mentioned that you like to mentor young entrepreneurs um, as well as kind of working in this changing regulatory environment is semi-inspiring for you. Um, so let's just get started. You know why did you find the passion to start um as well as get into the cannabis industry?
2: You know, actually, I had uh, just gotten out of a uh, software company that we sold, and um, a, the the very first people to get going on this were a couple of young guys from California. One of them had a chemistry degree, and it was uh, we had legalization in Colorado, and he thought, "Wow, we're going to build a lab and, and you know make a huge amount of money." And he had a friend. Who uh, had resources, financial resources? So they called on him to uh, uh, to put some money in, and and they went as far as getting a license, and then they brought me in because uh, they knew I had experience running companies, and so I was kind of a their co-founder and CFO, and then after about a year, um, they switched over to me because the 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 other founder didn't have. Uh, as much business experience, even though he set up a beautiful lab here. And that's kind of how, you know, how I really got pulled into the industry. And I I didn't have, I do know there's a lot of people that, you know, they'll get out of college and this is what they want to do. They want to be in cannabis. And
0: that wasn't my case, but I just found it fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. And I think something we've been discussing more and more uh, through the last couple episodes and the last couple seasons is kind of this intrinsic need for a business acumen in the cannabis industry. Whereas a lot of folks, you know, they did have that passion for it. And the passion certainly is a driver. Um, but the cannabis industry is is a, is a an industry and there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot to know, <laughs> just to say it, say it frankly. And so, you know, having that business acumen is really kind of where the industry is heading right now. Um, we're seeing a lot of M&As. We're seeing a lot of uh, companies uh, going public. And that's kind of the trend right now. There's a lot of issues with supply chain Um, It's totally, you know, a 2020 business industry adventure. It's not, you know, something you can start in your backyard and and kind of foresee it through all these regulatory changes. So, uh, you know, a good move on your guys' part, I think, to bring some of that business experience in. Uh,
2: Yeah, for sure. And I feel, uh, you know, sad for, obviously, the industry's gone through a lot of changes. Um, You know, I think it used to be that if if, uh, somebody was really adept at growing uh, there were some really passionate entrepreneurs, uh, that the businesses were smaller, um, and then this transition happened and, and they really were the, the initial winners in the market. But as things scale, you know, you get larger and you have so many employees, and as you mentioned, uh, financing is important. Um, there's, there's a lot to know, and especially in this environment that, uh, The financings that happen and the purchases and the stock prices, you know, we saw the reverse mergers into shells that happened that were disastrous for a lot of people. In fact, one of our early competitors in that first uh, non-licensed lab in Colorado Labs, got really caught up in a reverse merger that, you know, took some of the the early passionate people and mixed them up with some pretty ruthless
0: finance people and uh, took the company down. So it's... It's it's a uh, a lot of minds minds out there to be wary of. Absolutely, yeah. Let's talk about some of those regulatory changes, just because I know um, on the cannabis testing side, we've had quite a few changes in the past year that um, have kind of stemmed from some public health crisis, as well as just the traditional um, what can I say here? Kind of a traditional avenue towards you know bringing more. Um, normalized testing, I guess, into the market, such as heavy metal testing. So let's just dive in and discuss some of those. Maybe let's start with the vape crisis, because we're kind of in the on the back end of that now, and I know Colorado, the MED, the Marijuana Enforcement Division, implemented some changes to try to uh, to kind of stifle the vaping illnesses we were seeing across the nation. Do you want to discuss some of those changes the MED made uh, for testing requirements and additives?
2: You know, sure, and, and they, um, you know, it was a bit of a knee-jerk because this, you know, really hit us in the face. All of a sudden there's this health crisis and everybody wants to do something about it. And they said, you know, you can't have uh, vitamin E acetate or MCT oil in your, in your products. But, but honestly, I think the story is not so much in that case about regulation. It's about uh, public health. And uh, on the CDC website, you'll see, I think you'll, you would know that their number one priority Um, right now is uh, coronavirus. Below that is um, eggs, for some reason I hadn't heard of, but below that is vitamin E acetate. And at one point, that was a huge deal in the country, and CDC was all over it. The uh, health services were all over it. Very quickly, they determined that the lung illnesses were from vitamin E acetate, and just as quickly it stopped because that was an additive, a thickener that came out of Uh, The illegal market, uh, legal, in in Colorado, the legal cannabis, uh, the concentrates are so thick you wouldn't want to thicken them. But in the illegal market, they're thin and they're not quality, so you add a thickener and not only it makes it look like it's higher quality, but you get better yield because you've cut it, Um, but there's no, uh, there's, people are not careful about health so much so they said well vitamin e acetate vitamin e is healthy for humans let's cut it with vitamin e acetate turns out um you smoke vitamin e acetate and it's bad for your lungs but i think the story here is that is that very quickly the health services figured that out and just as quickly people started adding it i mean even the black market you're not out to kill people mm-hmm.
0: yeah absolutely and i think that it totally was a, a very comprehensive and very quick movement and um, I think we even saw a lot of those cases drop out and it basically dropped out of the media too, after the vitamin E acetate information came out and it even sounded like a lot of the, uh, a lot of the producers already in the uh, adult use and medical markets, the legal markets, if I may, none of them were really using vitamin E acetate or they, a lot of them had already phased it out. And so it was almost a good chance for the legal markets to showcase how, uh, testing requirements and R and D and just kind of the process of developing a market. Um has helped to weed out some of those uh, dangerous and toxic additives. So it almost was kind of like a gold shiny yeah. star in the industry of you know look at the proactive steps a lot of these companies are taking and um, you know look at how far we've come versus you know having a black market product that could be potentially dangerous.
2: yeah, I, I completely agree. it was it was a really great example of why you legalize and you have a regulated market. And as you know, when you when states legalize, that's their, well, maybe their pri- primary reason that's unspoken is that they'll you know, raise a lot of money. Um, you know, But to the public, it's safety. This It is about regulating things, tracking things. I think in the black market there's a lot of pesticides also. And
0: Absolutely. even discovering that, I don't think it's going to knock out the pesticides because it just increases
2: yield. And in the black market, um, in that case, they're in to
0: make money. Yeah, they are. Yeah. And a lot of them will tell you that they still care about the plant and the product, but you know, at the end of the day, um, they've chosen not to, to go the legal route with it. And that includes, uh, testing requirements and licenses and doing it the right way. So, uh, you can't always trust them to have your best interest when they don't take the the correct steps in the first place.
2: You know, and that's probably, that's a good, Thing to talk about also, how hard is it? So if somebody decides not to take the legal route, why is that? And it it could be because it's uh, you know maybe it's too competitive. Um, but often it's because it's just too hard. And the couple things that we do is you know you you got two eighty e which is you know just advantageous tax treatment. Um, You've got it's it's very competitive but you also have the regulations and Colorado did a really good job of easing in the regulations, um, you know, doing testing, kind of starting with potency and moving into micro and, and in a stepwise fashion. In fact, it, testing wasn't even required for medical marijuana uh, for a couple of years after recreational was required. So they allowed the, um, the market to develop in contrast to California where there's a huge testing burden so much so that it's difficult for labs to exist and it's just easier to be in the black market than meet all the regulations
0: yeah it is yeah and i do remember back in the day when uh medical was still not as heavily tested as recreational and i do think they allowed um a lot of those folks who did want to transition to become caregivers i think they really gave them a fighting chance to to become a part of this industry and kind of get their feet under them before they implemented a lot of testing. And I do think Colorado's taken, in my biased opinion, probably one of the best approaches as far as a regulatory approach to all the states that are currently legal with adult use and medical. I'm really proud of the regulators in Colorado for having, you know, common sense and courtesy to understand uh, who they're working with and and kind of how to best approach some of these situations. I mean, case in point is the heavy metals testing one I want to talk about. Um, California initiated that right off the bat. And, um, and that kind of hurt a lot of growers, I think there was a lot of people who still did not understand maybe agri-science enough to to understand that heavy metals can be coming from um, a lot of the additives, a lot of the, the nutrients they're putting in their soils, pesticides, I mean, soils that they're already amending. There's a lot of different areas that heavy metals could come into play, and I think uh, it really kind of hurts people when they don't have that initial understanding or a runway to R&D and kind of see where they're at, and I think they've done that in Colorado.
2: Yep good point and, and it's uh um they did the people that really had the uh the right approach that were trying to do a good job they helped them through
0: they did so let's talk about the new requirements for heavy metals testing i believe um they started in 2020 january 1st possibly yep yeah, that's right and what all do those entail now
2: well we test for um Four metals: uh, cadmium, lead, arsenic, and mercury. Uh, those are the, the regulated metals. They're down to really low levels, you know, parts per billion uh, levels. So, um, you know, it's relatively expensive to get all of that set up. But on the first of January, flour was required to be tested, and uh, then first of April, um, concentrates in edibles.
1: And where did that come from? I mean, was there something that occurred that people were like, "Okay, we need to start testing for heavy metals," or how did that all evolve? So I think this is really driven um,
2: from you know other industries. Uh, you know, a lot of it's the environmental industry, the ag industry, and so back in 2012, 2013, when uh, people were kind of coming up with these concepts, I remember sitting around a table and. Uh, it was great. It was the MED and, and Denver Health and, and Colorado Health and, um, you know, a lot of scientists and they were just going through the regs and saying, well, should we make this legal? Should we make this illegal? And they said, what's the level for this? They said, you know, E. coli was at zero and, and the health people said, no, E. coli can't be zero. I mean, it, we're not going to test it like zero. You have to make it a number. It has to be something, and that's, so they make it, you know, they say, okay, here's here's the number for this, here's the number for that, and uh, let, and metals were in there, because those, those are dangerous. Um, we know that there's regulations for metals in other industries. Pesticides is pretty obvious. Um, residual solvents, so those have evolved over time, but that's part of the stepwise approach. Metals have been on the list for a long time, but they just weren't. Uh, implement
1: until now. Interesting. So do you think that has like an effect on like consumer safety and health? If, you know, like you even said, like medical, it took a couple years before they started testing, which is crazy because, you know, these medical patients are using it as medicine, as you know, our recreational patients as well. But do you think that that affects consumer health and safety?
2: Um, yes, I think so. I think it's a, um, It's a complex issue. So, for instance, in the case of uh, pesticides, uh, they have data on pesticides and tobacco. But pesticides are absorbed at different rates at different times by tobacco. And when you smoke it, they're not sure that marijuana and tobacco is the same. So the science isn't really there on just how much is going to get into your bloodstream. We do know that these, uh, these heavy metals are bad for people. Um, but we're still exploring, uh, exploring those things. They don't go away. Like pesticides will degrade. So pesticides are made, you know, maybe you can, uh, spray it on crop early and it goes away. That's more of the ag side of it. Um, we just banned pesticides in, in, uh, uh, in, in marijuana. But we do know that, for instance, lead is dangerous. Arsenic is dangerous. Mercury is dangerous. Uh, we don't know how much is transferred into the bloodstream and at what levels, but the levels that they picked are really low. Uh, we just know they're dangerous for people. So it's good that these are going in <clears throat> in place. Now, in the indoor grows, you don't see a lot of these uh, metals. Uh, what we see sometimes is that the nutrients. So, for instance, you'll, if you have a fish-based nutrient, that nutrient might be um, have arsenic in it because uh, the, the, the initial source, the fish, accumulates the arsenic, and then it ends up in your soil because you put it in as a nutrient and ends up in the plants. I think there's going to be a bigger problem though uh, with hemp because that's primarily outdoor grows, mm-hmm. and that has everything to do with you know the soil that was uh, that's been there you know forever, and you know it does it. Does it have lead in it and, and what's the water supply and you know where does it come from? Does it come from mine tailings, things like that. So it will be a bigger deal for uh, any outdoor grow.
0: So that was kind of on our list. Is there any current requirements for hemp testing or is it just on a, a voluntary basis?
2: No, now the um, we're just going through the, because they've legalized hemp, in the country that the FDA and the USDA are are out putting together their testing requirements. We've been grandfathered under the old Farm Bill and our old uh, testing regimen until later this fall. Uh, but they have some pretty strict uh, regulations on, uh, on testing, which is usually the way it starts out. You know, they're very strict, but things... Things are going to be difficult. Like you have to test within fourteen days of harvest, and you have to have a third-party sampler. Now, if the harvests were spread across, or you know around the year, that'd be one thing. but people will be harvesting in the fall, and you have to get sampling and you have to get test results back um, in in time for uh, to, for harvest. So, I think it's going to be a hard hard thing for the grows and you know hitting your point three percent. Uh, potency level is going to be hard. This is such... If you, you want to uh, see a regulatory environment that's in flux, that is absolutely uh, one with the the feds getting all their comments and, and changing
0: requirements on the fly. Yeah, <laughs> we've been kind of keeping an eye on that. It looked like Colorado stepped in and said, we're going to continue doing what we've been doing and it's been working for the last few years, which was nice, I think. Um, and so, I mean... What does that do for your company, do people, uh, are consumers concerned, do companies come to you guys with a lot of questions as far as you know, not knowing what to do and um, has it made you guys' business a little bit harder, kind of not having I guess that backbone of a regulatory body saying um, you need to do X, Y, and Z and all be on the same page?
2: Absolutely, you know we, we have our, uh, you know we, we tested the Colorado regulations so if somebody wants to test with us, we, it's easy for us to say: here are the tests we do, here are the limits, this is what you do. I, you know, the harder thing that we have is everyone's confused by the regulations. They're really not sure what they need to do, when, you know, uh, how much sample to put in, and we end up fielding a lot of questions about regulations. You know, more than we do about science.
0: <laughs> I can see that. It's confusing. And it seems like it's ever changing too. That's something I think we've mentioned a lot with uh, the marijuana side of things. It looks like the hemp stuff is really no different.
2: Yeah, yeah, it um, it is, and and of course the it, the science is a little bit different because of course that the THC levels are low and the CBD uh, levels are higher, so all these other analytes are, are more important. So it's kind of a I think it's a really interesting. Um, to be testing plus that the products that come through are sometimes tough to you know how do you test a patch or Mm -hmm. you know some of these um uh ointments that come through have all kinds of other herbal constituents so it it's it's tough to separate out what you're supposed to see from
0: what they put into the product so it's getting more challenging for us interesting Those unique entrepreneurs are (laughs) making your life difficult.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But you guys know there's more products
0: under the sun than you could just imagine. Oh, gosh.
2: There's so much.
1: I'm sure you get so many different things.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, so. You have one of these really fancy instruments, and then you say, okay, all right, I've got a gummy bear. How does a gummy bear? (laughs) So, yeah.
1: Yeah. I, and I think, you know, for people who don't have context about this, because I mean, I didn't really know about a testing facility until we got the opportunity to go tour or one. And it's, I mean, it's a full science, science lab. And like you said, like, there's all different kind of products out there. And they're sitting in there, you know, testing each one of these products for all these different tests. Um, can you just kind of explain to consumers why this testing facility is important to them and kind of what that whole process looks like from like sampling to completion and like what that really means?
2: Yeah. Um, so from, you know, maybe the second question first as far as the, the process. We do have sampling um, protocols here in Colorado because, you know, for instance, you're supposed to take samples in a grow room from different levels in different locations, and that's to give you a representative uh, measure of the potency because potency will be higher in some areas than others. So there's sampling protocols, and then people bring things, you know, all the products together, and and give us the required, say four grams as a minimum um, to test. We bring it in, and then we separate it out. First, we'll pull out what's required for the microbial test because we don't want those samples, you know, floating around at different stations, different parts of the lab because we want to ha- use aseptic techniques to get the make sure that we aren't contaminating anything. So, Micro is going to take their piece out, and they incubate. Um, they... Put a growth medium uh, in. Uh, put everything into a growth medium. Put it into an incubator and try to grow mold. And on on these samples, um, the rest of it goes in, and it might get split out and do metals. It might get split out and and you know for potency. In um, case it gets, concentrates the uh, residual solvents, we have uh, terpene tests, pesticides. Uh, so it, it kind of gets allocated out to these different tests, and we have. People that just prep things uh they run through different instruments uh like a liquid chromatograph gas chromatograph we have a um, lcms which is a liquid liquid chromatograph with a mass spectrometer on it and an inductively coupled plasma mass spectrometer which tests our metal so there's different levels of scientists they kind of start in at the, at the prep level everyone has to have a science degree in a year in a regulated lab and uh uh, you know the the prep people send it over to the the analysts who run the instruments and they read the chromatograms and uh every single test and every single peak we look at to make sure that um, it's the right number uh and then we send you know send it off through our uh uh, information management system that reports it to the state and sends out reports to the customers
0: that's a pretty intense process <laughs> <And>, uh, <maybe, laughs> yeah
2: yeah it's it's there and when you get you're getting like 200 samples in oh my God. that's you know there's just a lot going on and keeping track of everything uh, your other question is why it's important and and you know it, it gets back to um, you know I Customers need to be informed. I think that you know, obviously, you know, potency is important, especially in the as we get into hemp. You know, the mixtures of you know, some people like CBL and you know, the whole plant extract idea. You know, there are a lot of folks that if they're going to buy marijuana, they they want uh, they want the highest potency. Which is, uh, but really, why we're here is is the contaminants and. And just having labs that you're required to test with, that fixes a lot of the problem. We don't find too much. I suppose the the thing that fails the most is probably total yeast and mold because there are some grows that have mold problems. And if we do see a fail, we'll go out to the grow and we'll swab around and we'll find out where the mold's coming from so they can fix it. And that's really a proactive thing that the industry does. But I think, just testing for pesticides has has made everyone stop spraying pesticides.
0: Yeah, so I like that. We don't that.
2: see many pesticide hits.
0: Yeah, I know um, when I first got in the industry, there was a lot of recalls for pesticides, and I think that was right at the, the very beginning of when they were testing. And I agree. I think, you know, you don't see Eagle 20 even come up anywhere in conversation now because it's explicitly banned, but, I mean, it was around. It was around before, and people were using a lot of it. And I think it really has shifted the tide and uh, growing practices and, and a, a kind of a need to, to steer away of pesticides just because of uh, the regulations, I think. Yeah, absolutely.
1: So when a product gets recalled in these dispensaries, is that because it this wasn't caught at the lab or like what occurred to cause that to happen? Um, that is right now,
2: Denver has been pulling things off the shelf and testing for mold, total use of mold, and they'd been um, uh, recalling products uh, for that. And there's some conjecture, you know, where where did that come from? Because I think some dispensaries are more uh, clean than others. You know, once it leaves the lab, it ends up, you know, in a jar someplace, and, you know, maybe it's moist, and people are putting their hands in there, and it really depends on how the dispensary handles things and if because it doesn't take much to uh, uh to contaminate these samples so they really have to be cleaned and they have to be transported uh well so it it's probably that i you know i i uh, we have not had any of the customers that we've ever tested for be recalled um we don't know who's gotten you know Denver has taken off the shelf and passed, so they don't have a that full list. But we haven't had any of our customers uh, get recalled. But I think that that is a, a primary thing. Back in the pesticide recall day, that that was before uh, testing, and Denver's always been proactive. You know, they went out and they tested things for pesticides, and sometimes they got got hints about it. But um, you know, that was that was a different form of of enforcement you know testing really ensures things are safe and it's a form of enforcement just saying look they are going to have to destroy product before there was testing denver still ran around and pulled stuff off the shelves and that was their enforcement
0: absolutely yeah yeah i think it kind of raises the bar with folks too that you know if they know they have to pass testing ahead of even producing a crop or or manufacturing a concentrate um they, there's certain steps that they have to take to to make sure that their products can be viable at the end. I know a lot of the old outdoor cultivators, when they saw heavy metal testing coming around, a lot of them started making contingency plans um, because they do have to pass testing. And so that's just what it is now. And I think, you know, the bar has been raised and the bar has been raised for consumer safety. And I'm extremely thankful for it as a, as a consumer, to be honest. Um, you know, I consume for health and wellness and, uh, you know, I don't need something compromising my health that's supposed to be fixing my health.
2: Yeah, I think that we may see a. Um, I'm looking forward to the market when the the broader uh, hemp market, where things are sold in, you know, Walgreens and and Rite Aid, um, because that's really where the, the customer requires it. Um, you know, a, a large organization like that can't have dirty product because it's a huge liability uh, mm-hmm. problem for them, and it's. That will be a good thing when people are actually saying, look, I'm not going to buy any of your product until you can prove to me that it's completely safe. And um, that's, I think that's going to be a good thing because then it's going to be consumer-driven.
0: We agree. Absolutely. We are on board.
1: I have a random question. I don't know. This might be me being naive. but So if they are moving into these big-box stores, does the testing facility, like, test so like there's a lot of issues with okay you're taking a dropper of cbd and they're saying you know it's 20 milligrams in a dropper whatever it might be and it's really only like five is that something that you guys would certify or how who does that um
2: yeah for sure the the you know currently you test the hemp as it's produced and um i don't know where the regulations will evolve to but i think they're going to be the same as ours that things that go on the shelf, the finished product needs to be tested for potency. And um, absolutely, that's a a huge issue. I would say the comment most made to the FDA in their comment period was, you know, potency is all over the map. Somebody says there's 100 milligrams of CBD in this, and it could be zero, it could be 300. Um, So that is, um, that's the, that, that's the easy pickings, right? That's what people say, why is your potency often? Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll be testing that for sure.
1: That's great. That would be huge. <laughs> That's what's really needed for sure.
0: Absolutely. Awesome. Well, uh, this has been great talking about laboratories and science and, and the testing requirements and kind of getting up to speed there. Let's end on a uh, nice fun note, though. Uh, before the pre-show, we were discussing some of your background. You used to uh, be a mentor for a lot of startups and You've been in the business space a lot uh, with new companies, so how about we uh, we end it with some some good tips and advice for young entrepreneurs out there, or uh, some some seasoned startup owners who are kind of uh, kind of in a rut here. What can you What can you offer them?
2: You know, I think that one of the <laughs>
0: that's that's kind of a big question. <laughs> I was, yeah. <laughs> Sorry.
3: <laughs> I, I would say uh, one
2: thing is if, if you're going to get into this, you probably need to, before you hire the first person, sit down and put together a really good model that says, you know, here's how much rent's going to be, here's how much the people are going to be, here's how much I can sell it for, here's how long it takes to grow, and I'm going to have to spend all this money before I can sell it and just see if the wheels stay on the on the uh, plan. Um, and get some somebody to look at it and, and have them, you know, tell you where you're crazy. Because you, I think a lot of people say, wow, this is great, I'm going to start this, and they get a license and they just jump in. And it's easy to lose a lot of money. So, you know, make sure that you're not going to get in and lose your shirt. Then, you know, the next thing is, I think good people is... We have such wonderful people here at AgriScience. Um, a lot of them are younger. They're just really passionate about the plant. I mean, they didn't just come out and say, hey, you know, I need, to, I need to pay some bills. I need to move out of my parents' house. Um, they just love the fact that, you know, these guys know so much. Uh, and, and they're really experts there. How could somebody that's, say, 28 years old be as expert as almost anyone in, on Earth in what they're doing? So that's really cool. People are really, really important. And then the, um, those are the people that are working there. And then getting money is... Uh, really be careful uh, where you're going to get money from. I think I mentioned uh, CanLabs before, and, and I think they... I uh, got talked into a, you know, going public, this is going to be a great deal. And it, it was really difficult for them. There's just a lot of people out there that are, uh, that are looking to, they don't really care about your well-being, and they care about, you know, more about making money. And that's probably a big difference from the old days where it was a real community. And now there's, uh, it's just harder. There's, there's people out to get you. So it's, this is starting a business is hard in any case. And then you're in marijuana where really you're not on a stable platform. Everything's moving. the regulations are moving, the prices are going
0: up and going down and new entrants and, and competition and it is uh, it's a crazy thing. It is yeah. I think, um, I think what you said earlier about the financing is really important. That's something we haven't discussed yet. Um, I think that's important to kind of know who you're working with. I know, you know, financing can be one of those things where you need money. And usually by the time you realize you need money, you're going to have to ask for money. Uh, You need the money usually, like immediately. And so you kind of find yourself in some bad spots. So I know a lot of companies are doing that right now. There's a lot of mergers and acquisitions going on. So I just really encourage everybody to uh, take a second look, uh, find yourself a mentor, find somebody who's done it before, have them, you know, walk you through what's actually going on and, and what's happening and make sure you're safe. Another thing that yeah. kind of popped in my head while we were talking was, um, you know, how can somebody approach a mentor like yourself to to ask for you know uh, for advice on running a business? I know running a, I run a business myself sometimes, and sometimes it's hard to go tell people, "Hey, I think I'm failing. What can I do to fix this?" So I'm just thinking, you know, what's the best way to approach somebody like yourself and ask for some advice? You no, know, that's a great question. The
2: in the tech industry, they you know have organizations really kind of set up for that. So a lot of people know me in the tech industry and, and come to me. That, you know, I haven't had anyone really approach me about uh, their business models and things in in this business. Um, and I know that they've started up some incubators uh, that, you know, uh, Canopy uh, mm-hmm. down in Boulder was um, uh, a good one. I'm an advisor for uh, for a few companies but just for startups yeah just find probably uh, get closer to the industry so find somebody who's um, running an organization and I think they'll probably talk to you you know when people come in and say hey Frank and I talked about this and show you this and this and that's what what you'll think about it and poke some holes in it most people are are pretty receptive but you you do need to figure out um, who the right ones would be and it's maybe a hit and miss but
0: you can't lose. I mean, that's networking, right? You can find it <laughs> yeah. out. That is, yeah. That's great <laughs> stuff, Frank. Thank you for that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, thank you, Frank. We really appreciate it. We've never had anybody on from a testing facility before, so we appreciate the insight and all the knowledge you shared with our listeners today.
2: Well, thanks for, uh, thanks for having me on. This has been fun.
1: All right. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Uh, with that, I'm Lit. I'm Lucid. And that's it.
0: Laters. Using the knowledge they gained in the pharmaceutical industry, Vera Health is transforming the CBD space with products that actually work.
1: With their scientific formulations and a world class team, Vera Health creates CBD products with superior bioavailability for endocannabinoid system support. Vera Health products include CBD oral micro mist sprays, CBD topical salves, and CBD soft gel capsules.
0: See what everyone is talking about and try for yourself at www.verahealth.com. Vera, because it works.